uh, Beatitude. We've been in a series about the Beatitudes uh, from the greatest sermon by the greatest preacher, Jesus himself. And uh, we've come now to a Beatitude that takes us really to the heart, the very heart of what it means uh, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Uh, I don't know if you've uh, uh, come across some scriptures that you you just couldn't reconcile yourself with. Uh, um, there's some things in the Bible that, that we can really get an understanding of, we can get a, a handle on, as it were. But then there's some things that, that seem like, uh, like wells whose depths are so deep, uh, the scripture is so deep that it's almost immeasurable. Um, truths, the, the breadth of which are almost impossible to fully understand. And this beatitude we're going to look at tonight is one of those. I want you to think for, with me for a moment about First Timothy chapter 6, verses 15 and to 17. It says, He who is blessed, he who is the, the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, speaking of God, of course, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and, uh, and, and glory. And, and, and think about also what God said to Moses when Moses had asked to see God's glory. Exodus 33 verse 20. He that is God said, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. So we have these two scriptures and there's others as well. Um, and yet, as we turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is going to tell us in the sixth beatitude in our sermon series, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So the scriptures that tell us that we're, we're not, it's not possible to see God and his glory, and he even said it to Moses, and yet Jesus says to his disciples, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Have you ever tried to put those two things together? Well, you know, the, the, the truth about purity of heart uh, being necessary to see God is, is, is something that's really contained in, in, in almost every biblical theme as you look through the Bible. So, so let me just, uh, before we get into it, just say that there's no way tonight that I can even begin to deal with all that that means, let alone exhaust it, because the subject of purity of heart Heart purity, staying pure in an impure world, can be tracked from the beginning of the Bible right to the end of the Bible. But nevertheless, let's just read again, as we have been doing in Matthew chapter 5, uh, the Beatitudes part of this sermon that Jesus was preaching to his, uh, really to his disciples, although there was a whole crowd around about them that was kind of listening in to what he was saying, but he was primarily teaching his disciples about discipleship, about being a follower of his. And so we read again in chapter 5 and verse 1. Now when he saw, that is Jesus, the crowds, he went up into a mountain and sat down, and his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And here it is, uh, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. 
And then he goes on to say, blessed are the peacemakers. We'll look at that next week, for they will be called the sons of God. And then the week after, finishing the series, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This uh, sixth beatitude uh, reminds us, uh, if nothing else, that God, our holy God, is serious about purity. And in fact, God goes so far as to congratulate, even to bless and, and give the applause of heaven to those who strive for purity in their own lives. This is the most central and the most uh, significant uh, of all the Beatitudes because you can't be poor in spirit without having a pure heart. You can't mourn for the things that displease God without having a pure heart. You can't be meek and hunger for thirst and thirst for righteousness. You can't be merciful. You can't be a peacemaker or prepared to withstand suffering and persecution for the name of Christ without having a pure heart. It's essential. This is one of the most central principles of the Christian life. One that should be a priority for every one of us. Everyone who desires at least uh, to be a fruitful faithful disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I love uh, watching nature shows. I'm fascinated by the world of nature and God's, God's creation. And a while ago I watched a program about the ermine, uh, otherwise known as the short-tailed weasel. That's really what it is, a short-tailed weasel. Uh, but it's a particular type and it has a, the unique feature uh, of having its fur change to a snow white color in the winter that's to give it some disguise and I discovered that God created this animal with, with this feature to protect it from its enemies the ermine instinctively protects its white fur against anything that would soil it and, and fur hunters there are fur hunters out there in, in northern Europe and Asia that take advantage of this unusual trait of the ermine. They don't set a snare to catch it, but instead they find its home, it's usually a cleft in a rock or, or a, uh, a hollow in an old tree, something like that, and they smear the entrance to the ermine's home uh, and the interior of it with dirt. And then they set out to hunt uh, with their dogs, of course, set loose to find and chase the ermine, and the frightened animal eventually flees towards home but it doesn't enter the home where it lives because there's dirt there it's because of the filth and rather than soil its white coat it's trapped by the dogs and it's captured and uh, while preserving its purity all the while because for the ermine purity is more precious than life and of course it's it's hunted because of the fur Proverbs 3 and 1 says, Let your heart keep my commandments. And as someone has well observed, the heart of the matter for us is the matter of our heart. And it's that question of the heart that Jesus uh, really is, is, is answering in this beatitude. How good does a person have to be? What's required? What's the standard? What's necessary in order to see God? And what does that mean? And so Jesus makes this powerful, even shocking statement that what's necessary is a pure heart. Billy Graham once said, we're suffering from only one disease in the world, 
Our basic problem is not a race problem. Our basic problem is not a poverty problem. Our basic problem is not a war problem. Our basic problem is a heart problem. When Jesus spoke these words in this beatitude, uh, that we're, and these beatitudes we're looking at in this series, he wasn't uh, speaking, you know, either out of or into a vacuum, just for the sake of speaking, but rather these words were spoken into a certain historical, religious, spiritual context. So let me give you a little bit of, of background of, for, for these important words that Jesus was speaking. First of all, at the time that Jesus came into the world, Israel, God's people, were in a desperate situation. Politically, Israel had lost its freedom, uh, was under the bondage of the Roman Empire. Economically, Israel was struggling because the, the Romans exacted uh, exorbitant, unfair criminal taxes. Nothing much has changed about that, I don't think, in the world. And spiritually, spiritually, Israel was also lost. It was in, in great trouble. Spiritually, the people of Israel were burdened by the, the oppressive authority of, of the Pharisees, their own people, who were the dominant religious group of the time. And they had misinterpreted the law of Moses as a legal code by which salvation could be attained. And then in addition to that, in addition to the law of Moses, they had added countless other laws and rules and ordinances that imposed a, a relentless, rigid, legalistic sort of system of duties on people that were virtually impossible for people to keep them. And as a result, because they were unable to live up to these religious requirements set by the Pharisees, they felt spiritually oppressed, frustrated, with a constant feeling of guilt uh, by, the never, by never being able to measure up, so to speak. Now, if Jesus would just have said, Blessed are the pure, for they will see God, the religious people back then would have been very happy because they were experts at, at outward purity. They all had sorts of rules on what to eat and what to wear and how far you could walk on the Sabbath and all that sort of stuff. And they spent their time trying to make the outside look good by keeping up appearances, so to speak. Did you know there's only two kinds of religion in the world? There's the religion of human achievement. And that comes in every religious brand that you can imagine. And then there's the religion of divine accomplishment which says we can't do it on our own but God has done it in Christ for us and in every crowd and perhaps even here tonight there are people who are trying to make themselves acceptable to God on their own trying to earn their way to heaven on their own energy and by their own resources uh, and, and they were in that crowd that day listening in as Jesus spoke specifically to his disciples Many were content with the external ceremonialism, the superficial works, the self-righteousness, the systems that dealt only with the outside. But in this beatitude, Jesus is saying to them, listen folks, I'm sorry, sorry to tell you this. That's not how it works. That's not how you qualify to see God. You'll never be in my kingdom because I'm talking about the interior of your life. I'm looking for those who are pure in heart pure in heart. There's only really three approaches to religion. There's head religion, which trusts in a creed or a system. There's hand religion, that trusts in good works. And then there's what God is really interested in. There's heart 
religion, if you want to call it that, which is based on an imputed purity given to us by God. You see, Jesus Christ came to purify our hearts because when he died on the cross, he took the sin that was accounted to us, rightly so, and he paid the penalty for that sin. And then he imputed, or another word for it is he credited his righteousness to us. In fact, Scripture tells us about three imputations uh, which together evidence God's amazing grace. We were talking about that a bit this morning and singing about that, his amazing grace. Adam's sin, original sin, is imputed to man. Man's sin is imputed to Christ. And Christ's righteousness is then imputed back to man. So when we put our faith in him and he looks at us and he looks at us through the cross, he sees us to be righteous. He sees us to be pure. And you know, there's at least five kinds of purity that are taught in God's word. Let me give you a quick lesson. There's divine purity. And that's the holiness that belong, belongs only to God. And it's, it's very much part, an integral part of his nature. Isaiah declared that, didn't he, in Isaiah 6 and 3. Holy, holy, holy. Three times the emphasis. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Divine purity. And then there's created purity. When God first created the world, remember what he said when he looked at his creation? He said everything was good, everything was pure. Genesis 1.31, God saw all that he had made and said it was very good. And then there's positional purity. The moment we're saved, the purity of Jesus is imputed, credited to us, and God sees us robed with the righteousness of Christ. According to 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Isn't that amazing? Positional purity. And then, fourthly, there's conditional purity. And this is the challenging part for all of us here tonight. Uh, we'll talk more about this in, in a moment, because this is about having to live out our positional purity in practical ways. Second Corinthians again in chapter 7 verse 1. Since we have these promises dear friends. Let us purify ourselves. From everything that contaminates body and spirit. Perfecting holiness. Out of reverence for God. That's conditional purity. And then of course there, there, there's ultimate purity. Uh, there's a day coming. Isn't there? When Christians will be totally cleansed. Totally purified. 1 John 3 and 2 says, Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we will know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. The ultimate purity. So in the context of this sixth beatitude, to be pure in heart speaks to my position, to your position as a Christian before God. And it also refers to the condition of my walk and your walk with God. It doesn't mean that we're, uh, we must be perfect, but it does mean that we've come to a place in our journey of faith where Jesus is being established more and more as the Lord of our lives. But however, as believers, many of us have learned, uh, not to our credit, but we've learned how to behave in such a way that people don't really see what's taking place on the inside. You know, we can con 
uh, our co-workers. We can fool our friends and family. We can play charades with church members, even deceive ourselves. But we can't masquerade before a holy God because he sees right through our masks. And I want to confess to you this evening that just because I'm preaching uh, on the Beatitudes and this Beatitude in particular tonight, it doesn't mean that I've, I'm, I'm, I'm managing to perfectly live them out all the time. Uh, I'm as good at wearing masks sometimes as anyone else is. I remember seeing a cartoon that, that shows a husband and wife in deep conversation. And the wife says, you know what? Today, let's do something different. She says to her husband, dear, why, do, why don't you be charming at home and grouchy at work for a change? It was the same woman who said, sometimes I wake up grumpy and other times I let him sleep in. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter really if you go to church every day of the week. It doesn't matter if you carry a Bible around and you can recite verses. Um, even as I hold this Bible, I'm thinking of one of my, I have a few pet peeves. I don't think I've ever shared these with you, but I have a few things that really annoy me. Uh, and there's no reason, there's, there's absolutely no reason why they annoy me. Uh, but one of the things that is a pet peeve of mine is, is Bible carriers. You know the covers that you put on your Bible? And I, 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 I just don't like them. They, they bother me. And especially the ones that have a handle. And, and, and even the ones that have a pocket on the side for putting all the notes in. And I see people walking around with these and bulging pocket full of notes. And I'm thinking, my goodness, uh, I don't know why I don't like them. And, if you, and forgive me if you have one and you brought it to church tonight. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not trying to get at you. It's just a pet peeve that I have. Um, but it doesn't matter, you know, if you, if you carry around a, a, a small Bible or a big Bible or you can recite verses. It doesn't matter how religious you are on the outside because if your heart is not clean, then you haven't really met with God's standard. And we all wear these masks. Uh, and as Christians, we can do a pretty, job, pretty good job of mask management. But the bottom line is that God can see our hearts, can't he? And when our hearts are pure, he promises that we will see him. I know I haven't explained that, but I will in a moment, or try to. Uh, and and I, I like how the message paraphrase puts this beatitude. It says, you're blessed when you get your inside world, that is your mind and heart, put right. Because then you can see God in the outside world. You know, the initial use of the word pure in the Bible was in the sense of clean as opposed to unclean. You know, the Bible talks about clean and unclean animals, clean or unclean foods, uh, the clean or unclean condition of a person even. And in some instances, we, we may be able to see a logical reason uh, for that. I mean, crows uh, are unclean because they eat dead, rotten flesh along with other birds, I suppose, as well. And a person with leprosy was described as unclean because leprosy was a, an infectious disease. But there wasn't always a logical reason why the flesh of some animals were considered clean and yet other animals were considered unclean. You see, it, it's God's arbitrary decision alone. And he made these distinctions because he wanted his people to know that, that he is God and he is a holy God. He, he expects his people to live according to the standard that he has set for them. As he said in Exodus 31, 13, But this will be a sign between me and you for generations to come, 
so you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. And that's why he repeatedly says, be holy, because I am holy. Now it's not for us to understand everything that God does. It's impossible. But it is for us to obey. And Moses, while uh, repeating, reiterating, reiterating the law, he makes a very significant comment in Deuteronomy 28, or 29, 29. You probably know that verse. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law, or his law. From the very beginning, it's not been a matter of outward observance of some rules and regulations. It's been the attitude of the heart towards God that we need to keep in focus. And that's why Jesus' harshest words and most scathing rebukes were reserved for the scribes and the Pharisees who, who thought themselves to be the purest of all people. They were extremely careful to keep their outward appearance clean before men, but they didn't worry so much about their heart relationship with God. And Jesus said to them in Matthew 23, Woe to you, you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee! First clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside they're full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, he said, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. What a scathing uh, rebuke. But to be honest... I think we'd have to admit that our culture in our day is very similar to what it was back then. Because unfortunately things haven't changed much in 2020 years. These Pharisees even remind me of so many of us in our day and age in that we all have this inbuilt tendency to focus on outward appearance. We're more careful to keep everything clean that's been seen by others and forget about the things that only God can see because it's easier to follow rules and, and, and forget the matter of the heart. And did you know, I'm sure you do, that when God looks at you, he pays little attention to your outward appearance, what you're wearing, how you seem to be on the outward side of things. Now that might be hard for some of you to hear because some of you spent a lot of time coming to church this morning and getting yourself right and looking in the mirror and tidying the hair and putting on the best clothes that you could find and all the rest of it. We want to keep, keep up physical and material appearances before man, but we often forget about keeping our hearts pure before God. And again, to the Pharisees, Jesus said in Matthew 12, you brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good for out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And then as he explained it to his disciples in Matthew 15, he said, out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, slander. These, he said, are what makes a man, a person, unclean. Rather than obsessing about how we're looked on or perceived by others, we're to strive for a deep correlation between our motivations, our thoughts, our convictions, and the self that we present to the world around us. In other words, we're to be people of integrity. When Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, 
He wasn't saying that in order to see God, we have to muster up a prescribed amount of purity of heart. He was attacking the all too human tendency to focus on the surface of things. He was saying that our concern must go beyond the external purity that's relatively easy to produce and manage. The shallowness, superficiality, hypocrisy so rampant in our culture should not be what characterizes a disciple of Jesus Christ. We're to resist our culture's preoccupation with appearance and cultivate a purity that comes from the heart, from the center of who we are, which is then reflected, really, outward in, in, in our lives, in integrity, honesty, and ultimately dependence on a God whose holiness is, is the basis for our trust. Ultimately, purity of heart is much more difficult than external purity, isn't it? For instance, it's relatively easy for politicians to put on an impressive show and, and sweep problems under the carpet for a few weeks in approach, approaching a general election. But it's much more difficult for them to do the hard work of promoting justice and equality and opportunity and compassion <coughs> for the millions of people who come under their governmental care when they're elected. It's relatively easy to dazzle people with religious performance, but it's much more difficult to be committed to your family and to your church family and to do the hard work of loving those closest to you in the spirit of Christ, even those who come against you. It's relatively easy to create an, an attractive, I should say, online profile on Facebook or create a glowing resume or CV but it's much more difficult to live a life of transparency and honesty before God and others. It's relatively easy to, uh, uh, for me to lay out all these things on, on a Sunday evening message. But it's much more difficult for me to live it out once I leave these doors. It's relatively easy, in other words. But it's much more difficult to be pure in heart. And so a pure heart means living by God's rules. Living a life that's pleasing to God. And you know, there's some physical or natural laws, shall we say, that we can't break without there being consequences. But God can. For example, you can't put your hand in the fire and not get burned. That's the law of thermodynamics. And you have to have a lot of food if you're to feed 5,000 people. But God can break those natural laws. He can let people walk through fire and not even get their clothes singed and come out not even smelling of smoke. And he can feed 5,000 people with just a couple of loaves of bread and, and a few fish. But did you know that there's God's moral laws that man can break, but God can't? Do you know there's things that I can do? There's things that you can do that God can't. Pastor Gordon, what are you talking about? There are things that I can do, you can do, that God can't do. I thought God can do anything. I can lie. God can't. I can commit adultery. God is devoted to each one of us. I can steal. And so on. But God can't break his moral laws. And he can't ignore them when they are broken. So we're usually careful to observe the natural laws because they have immediate consequences. We know if we put the hand in the fire, we're going to get burned, so we don't do it. 
But many times we ignore God's moral laws, even though they have far more serious consequences spiritually. Because having a pure heart means keeping God's moral laws, living by God's rules, living a life that is pleasing to God. But it also means living for the sole purposes of God, to have a heart that's fully devoted to him. It means having a single-minded devotion and commitment to God, doing anything and everything in our life for the sole purpose of glorifying and praising God and pleasing him. In this sense, pure means unadulterated. There's nothing else mixed up with it. But let me ask you, what is adultery? When we think of adultery, we tend to think of it in the physical sense, don't we? Having sexual relations outside the marriage bonds. And while God's word does talk about this kind of adultery and prohibits it, the Bible also talks about spiritual adultery, far more than physical adultery. For example, the whole book of Hosea was written to deal with the issue of spiritual, the spiritual adultery of God's people. And when we devote our hearts to anything other than the exclusive devotion to God, we're committing spiritual adultery. Our hearts aren't pure anymore. James chapter 4 verse 4 said, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Both the Old and New Testaments uh, say, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. This is a pure heart in a spiritual sense. So the question is, how can we have a pure heart? A heart that is morally clean, a heart that is fully devoted to God. First of all, we have to realize that in and of ourselves, we can't attain a heart that is morally pure and fully devoted to God. The Bible repeatedly tells us, Genesis 6 and 5, the Lord saw that every inclination of the thoughts of, 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 of man's heart was evil all the time. And in Jeremiah 17 and 9, it tells us the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Pastor Kent Hughes, in his book, The Sermon on the Mount, he quotes a 19th century Russian novelist, Ivan Turgenev, who says, I don't know what the heart of a bad man is like, but I do know what the heart of a good man is like, and it's terrible. The reformers call this total depravity. Because it affects every part of us. What we think, what we say, how we behave. That's how we start out. So let's get this straight. Although it's impossible for us to have a pure heart in and of ourselves, we can have a pure heart by the very grace of God. Because a pure heart is a gift from God when he imputes his righteousness to us. It comes with a new birth. And by the Holy Spirit, living in us and God has promised through the prophet Jeremiah I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts and again in Jeremiah 32 I will give them singleness of heart and action and this was finally fulfilled of course in and through the Lord Jesus Christ who made us a new creation with a new heart when we got saved there are certain ways that we can maintain uh, the purity of our hearts one of the most primary 
is our time in the word of God. The psalmist has said, Psalm 119, how can a young man, a young person keep their way pure? By living according to your word. I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. And the second way to maintain the purity of our hearts is through fellowship with God's people like we are tonight. That's why the author of the book of Hebrews exhorts us, Hebrews 10, 24, let us consider how we can spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And then thirdly, we can train our hearts for pure living by doing the works of God, serving God, because as we allow God to use us for the blessing of others, we in turn will be encouraged in our devotion to God and to keep our own hearts morally pure. And just as being pure in heart is the most comprehensive requirement of a believer's life, the promise of seeing God is without doubt the most comprehensive of all promised blessings. Imagine that. Whereas the promises associated with the previous Beatitudes talk about belonging to the kingdom of heaven, inheriting the earth, being comforted, being filled, receiving mercy. This is one of the greatest blessings because it offers us the promise of seeing God. But what does it mean to see God? Of course it means seeing him literally when we go to be with him in heaven. We shall see him as he is in eternity. And isn't that what we're looking for and hoping for? Beyond college degrees, beyond good jobs, the happy life on earth, beyond secure retirement, is to see God. But the Christian life is not just about pie in the sky and the sweet by and by. Well, it happens because if we live with a pure heart, a life that's morally pleasing to God and fully devoted to him, we'll also enjoy God's presence in our life right here and right now. First Peter 1 says, Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an, ex an expressible glorious joy for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The greatest blessing of the Christian life is to first know God, of course, and then to experience his presence in our daily lives and to live our lives for his glory. So in this context, seeing God means to have a deep experience of God, to know him intimately and personally. And you know, those of you who are married here tonight, no matter how long you've been married, all successful marriages discover this truth really on a human level. The longer you live with another person in marriage, the more you get to know them as they really are. And that's why as the years go by, you, you might be thinking about a question but she'll answer it before you ask it. Or you'll be thinking about a song and he'll begin singing it. Or you'll begin a sentence and she'll finish it for you. And sometimes you even think that she can hold both sides of the conversation. All you have to do is a smile and nod. Right? This is what the 24th Psalm that we began with means when it asks, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in this holy place? And the answer is simple. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. You got it. And so in the light of this beatitude, uh, let me ask you a couple, a couple of pointed questions, really. First, there's a question here for those who are unsure. You may be here tonight, you may be unsure of your positional purity. 
can you unequivocally uh, say that you have come to that point in your life where you've been humbled by your acknowledgement of your sinfulness. You've mourned over it to the point that you've recognized your inability to do anything about it yourself. And hungering and thirsting for righteousness, you've experienced the filling that comes when you receive God's mercy and had your sins washed away and your heart made clean. God wants to wash your sins away and he wants to give you his righteousness to make your heart pure. Is that you tonight? You're not sure? You don't have the assurance? Here's a question for every Christian here tonight, and it's about the condition of your heart or, your, or conditional purity. Are you walking in purity before the Lord? Is there anything in your life that's keeping you from being sensitive and discerning God as he reveals himself to you? His sin is a virus which can slip into our hearts very subtly at times and unnoticed at times and it can slowly begin to infect every other area of our lives. And that's why the psalmist David, you know, we, we sang it earlier, Psalm 139, he himself had to confess and, and ask and say, Search me, O God, know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. As someone has put it, Jesus came to reformat our hearts drives. And as Christians, we need that reformatting daily as a way of dealing with all the viruses that the world would throw at us. I read about a couple who had just purchased a new boat. But no matter how hard they tried, they couldn't get their 22-foot motorboat going. It was very sluggish. And no matter how much power was applied, after about an hour of trying, they, they simply just pulled into a nearby marina hoping someone could tell them what was wrong. And the thorough check on the top side of the boat revealed that everything was in perfect working order. It was a new boat. And then one of the marina guys jumped in the water to check underneath. And he came up choking on water because he was laughing so hard. Because under the boat, still strapped securely in place, was the boat trailer. When God looks underneath the surface of your life or my life, what does he see? What's holding us back in our spiritual walk and maturity? When he looks behind our mask, what does he discover? See, God made us and he alone knows us and he knows us better than we know ourselves. And when we allow him to search us and to know us and to cleanse us, then and then alone can we address the issue of heart purity. God longs to find, uh, find the lost and he loves to fellowship with his people who have undivided hearts. Second Chronicles says this, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Notice he's not looking for believers who are busy in ministry although there's nothing wrong with that in itself, or those who are focused on eternals. He's searching for sold-out followers who have fully committed their hearts to him because God reserves intimate fellowship with himself to those who are unmixed in their devotion and unmasked in their relationship with him. God desires for us to remain pure in the midst of an impure world. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God.
Amen. Amen. We'll just leave it there. I told you we couldn't exhaust it all uh, in one night or one week, uh, such as the teaching of God's word. But you meditate it for yourself tonight, even as you uh, go home after you've had a cup of tea. But we're going to sing to close out our time together, if the, uh, the worship team would just uh, get ready. Pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God in everything around them. Uh, and what a, what a tremendous challenge that is to all of us here tonight because there's so much in the world, so much in circumstances even that can draw us away and can, can, can uh, uh, leave our hearts you know, dirty uh, and, and, and we need that cleansing. And so we're going to sing a song that really ties in with that, that reinforces that tonight. Um, and if you've not understood everything I've told you tonight, you'll understand this prayer of this song, Purify My Heart. It says... 